Welcome to another episode of a special podcast we like to call From the Archives. These are hand-picked sermons and sermon series preached in our church over the years by some of the pastors, elders, and special guests we've had the privilege of listening to. We hope and we pray that as we listen to these classic messages, we'll be challenged in our walk with Jesus and encouraged to trust in him more and more. That being said, let's dive into the episode. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of From the Archives from Amford Evangelical Church. And today we have in the pulpit Mr. Right Reverend Jonathan Thomas. Um, in today's sermon, John is going to be looking at the real painful subject of death, of grieving and bereavement. And I guess if you like, uh, a sentence that would sum it all up is that ignorance is not bliss. If we go right the way back to the start and John's reasoning for starting this whole series uh, looking at the idea of encouragement is that actually in order to be comforted we need to know the truth. And in this message John through the book of 1 Thessalonians is trying to share with us the truth about death and the life after which can provide real comfort when we go through times of real grief. So John will challenge a couple of really wrong perceptions about what death is, what happens to us when we die, and in its place offer to us the biblical picture of life after death, life with Jesus, uh, as our great encouragement when we lose people, or perhaps when we face death for ourselves. So I should shut up, and I should let you get on with listening to Jonathan. What about Paul Ehrlich? Who knows what he helped discover early on? Chemotherapy. Chemotherapy was one of the things. He got the Nobel Prize as well with uh, someone else. Again, something that some even in this room um, have had, uh, perhaps had something that could have taken your life, and they've come and they've changed it. I want to say this. They're all men who have redefined illnesses. They're all men who have taken illnesses that could have killed us and have made them illnesses that we can survive. They've all made advances that redefine illnesses. But today, I want to look at a man who not redefined an illness, but redefined death. Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross and rose from the dead three days later, redefined death from being terminal to being sleep. Jesus redefined death from being terminal to being sleep. And understanding this this morning has a huge impact on our lives. And if you're here this morning as a Christian, it has a huge impact on the way you grieve. It changes everything when you understand that Jesus has redefined death from being terminal to being sleep. You know, um, we often say, don't we, ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. But actually, spiritually speaking, ignorance is very painful. When it comes to spiritual matters, being ignorant of something leads to hopeless grief. And William Hendrickson writes this, Ignorance concerning spiritual realities is always bad for the believer. It leads to lack of comfort. And today I want to take us from a place of perhaps ignorance or misunderstanding or lack of understanding of death to a place where we can find real comfort in the face of very painful grief. And we're going to do this from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 13 to chapter 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 
to 18. This is Paul writing to the church he planted. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. God does not want us to be ignorant about death because ignorance doesn't comfort us. I want to try and explain to you why understanding, why a word we call doctrine or theology is so important to us as Christians. You see, if you don't understand what the Bible teaches on something, it leads to a real lack of comfort. Take, for example, suffering. All of us suffer at some time. Some of you perhaps are suffering this morning. Some of us suffer horrendously in life. And when it comes to suffering, the Bible tells us two things. It tells us that God is both God and powerful, but also good and loving. But when as Christians we come to suffering and we haven't thought through what the Bible teaches about suffering, it's possible to come to a place where you think, well, God is powerful, but I'm suffering so he can't be good. Or maybe God is powerful and I'm suffering, so God is punishing me. And we start to go down these places where we have no comfort in suffering because we don't understand the sovereignty of God and we don't understand suffering in the sovereignty of God. And many of us lack comfort in suffering. It's the same with the process of sanctification, of becoming more like Christ. Sometimes we go through that process and we think that Jesus has died to pay the price for our sins. Therefore, I can beat all sins, but I'm not beating sin. So I can't be a Christian. God can't love me. And we end up in condemnation. A lack of understanding of sanctification of our relationship with sin can take away the Christian's hope, the Christian's comfort. And it's exactly the same in grief. When we don't understand what the Bible teaches about death and about the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, it leads to grief. Very often, much of the struggles we have in the Christian life are down to a lack of doctrine. Now, some of you are thinking, no, that's not true. I'm telling you, yes, it is. God in his word has revealed himself to us. He tells us who he is, and he tells us what's going to happen to us, why it's going to happen, and what it's going to be like. And do you know what? As Christians, we have the privilege of having the Holy Spirit who inspired the word living in us and illuminating our minds to understand these things so that when these things come to us, we can actually have a different response to other people. And so today I want to focus on, on grief and really the doctrine, the theology of it, so that when we do face grief, we will be able to respond differently. And I pray and hope this morning for those of us who are grieving, we'll be able to see something different in the grief that we have. Now, let me explain the situation and why Paul deals with it. If you remember, Paul planted the church in Thessalonica, and he tells us lots about planting it. And it would seem that when he planted the church, he taught them a good Bible overview. He taught them a good kind of doctrine course. He taught them many things. Um, so if you have a look at chapter 1 and verse 9, chapter 1 and verse uh, 9 and 10, he reminds them when he says this, 
Um, uh, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, he says, um, you know, they testify the report, uh, the kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who comes to us from the coming wrath. That is, uh, they're reminding there that Paul had taught them what did he've taught them according to verse 10, that the son was going to return from heaven and that the son had been raised from the dead. When Paul was there, he taught them all about the resurrection. He taught them all about the reunion of Christ. He taught them all about the rapture. Um, he taught them all about these things. But when it actually happened... When the first Christians died, they panicked. There's something about grief, isn't there? There's something about death. That when a loved one dies, we just panic. We go into shock. We go into denial. And we don't really know what to do about it. And for these early Christians, as their Christians brothers and sisters died, they didn't know how to respond. And so in verse 13, he says, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. The grief that they were experiencing was a hopeless grief. They just weren't sure what was happening. When you read it, and next week we're going to have a sermon on the second coming. Um, I don't know if that's going to boost our numbers or deplete our numbers. But next week we're going to look at the second coming. And they were asking questions like this. If Jesus is coming back and the dead have died, they've missed out on Jesus coming back, haven't they? What's going to happen to them? When Jesus comes back and and we're still here, what about those who have died? Where have they gone? And we do, don't we? We ask questions like that. Where are people? What happens to people when they die? Are they missing out? But as well, we don't just ask theological questions like that when people die. Where are they? Are they going to miss out on the second coming? We also feel extreme emotions. Perhaps when someone dies, we we struggle. Many of us struggle, don't we, with that relief when someone dies after horrendous pain and suffering. And we think it's good for them that they're suffering no longer. And then we feel a guilt that we feel glad that they've passed on. Many of us struggle with those feelings. Or, or when they do, then afterwards we think, but I wish they were still with us. And that loss and separation tears at our hearts. And with every anniversary and with every event and with every little thing we find around the house, there just seems to be piercing pain. Grief is very, very hard. And we ask lots of questions in those times, just like the Christians in Thessalonica. I wonder, is that you this morning? Are you struggling with grief this morning? Perhaps you've lost someone in the last year. Perhaps it was last year. It may have been in the last 10 years. Some are struggling with grief this morning and they died more than 10 years ago. And even though they went to be with the Lord more than 10 years ago, and even though we use that phrase, went to be with the Lord, it still feels like yesterday. And the grief burns still today. And when I started this sermon five minutes ago, straight away you went to their face. You went to their name. You went to that day. Grief affects us all. And if it's not affecting you this morning, it will affect you one day. And so even if you're not struggling with grief this morning, please listen in. Because one day you will be glad you know these things. One day you will be glad you're not facing grief in ignorance. And you're not grieving grieving like those who have no hope. Let me tell you the big point this morning, what I want you to go home with. So once I say this, if you don't want to listen to anything else, you don't have to listen to anything else. Here's my big point. The big point is this. The death and resurrection of Jesus 
redefines death as falling asleep. Therefore, whilst death is hard, we have hope. Say that again. The death and resurrection of Jesus redefines death as falling asleep. Therefore, whilst death is hard, we have hope. Let me explain that by asking just two questions this morning. Just two questions. My first question, can Christians grieve? Is it right for Christians to grieve? And my second question, what happens when Christians die? Those are the two questions I want to answer this morning. Can Christians grieve? What happens when Christians die? First question, can Christians grieve? Yes. Christians can and Christians should grieve. The passage does not say that Christians should not grieve. Have a look again, verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. He's talking against a specific type of grief, a hopeless grief. There is nothing worse than a glib Christian at a funeral. Say that again. There's nothing worse than a glib Christian at a funeral who just goes, great, isn't it? They're dead. Brilliant. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Smile. Don't cry. They've gone to be with the Lord. Just want to punch them in the face. Say, do you want to go through my pain? Then we'll see who's glib. There's nothing worse than a glib Christian in a funeral. In our church, that has no place. Funerals in our church are very joyous and celebratory occasions. But we don't have room for glib Christianity. You see, grief is difficult and grief is hard. Wayne Grudem, the theologian, writes, It is not wrong to express real sorrow at the loss of fellowship with loved ones who have died, and sorrow also for the suffering and hardship that they must have gone through prior to death. We need to understand that whilst death has been beaten in Christ, we've sung that this morning, death is still an enemy. And the process of dying is not natural. And the process of dying can be very, very difficult. And so death, dying, grief is very, very hard. And it is right and proper that we should grieve in the face of death. The Lord Jesus Christ in John 11, when his friend Lazarus died, he wept. And he knew he was about to raise him. But yet he wept. In Acts chapter 8, when Stephen is stoned, it says in Acts chapter 8 verse 2, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. They mourned for Stephen. Stephen had seen the risen, ascended Jesus as he was dying. He'd had that amazing vision and they knew it. They saw him see it, yet they still mourned deeply for him. Do you remember Paul in Philippians when he's talking about Epaphroditus being with him and Epaphroditus had been sent from the church and Epaphroditus had nearly died? This is what he says in Philippians 2.27. Indeed, um, Epaphroditus was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Grief is hard and it is okay for Christians to grieve. It is right for Christians to grieve. And there are two parts of death that make us grieve. For many, the process of dying causes us to grieve. Having seen loved ones go through difficult treatments, difficult illnesses, perhaps losing their mind and memory in those last days, months and years. It is hard. And of course, every human being would grieve in the face of that. But as well, there's loss and separation. There's loss and separation. 
We are no longer with them. We don't wake up with them. We don't see them on birthdays. Those little glances we used to have are no longer there. Grief is hard. Loss is hard. Jesus felt it. Paul felt it. The scriptures say we can grieve. In fact, the scriptures command that we should weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. We come alongside. But whilst grief is hard and Christians can grieve, Christians do not grieve like those without hope. Christians have a hope. He says in verse 18, we don't grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. And it says, verse 14, we believe, here's our hope, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those have fallen asleep in him. We have a hope that changes our grief. It doesn't stop our grief being hard, but it stops our grief being hopeless. For the Christian, we experience hard grief that is hope-filled. Our hope is based on Christ. We believe that Jesus died. Why did Jesus die? Jesus died to die our death, to pay the price for our sins, to take our punishment. He died our death in our place, and then he rose victorious. Why? Yes, to offer for sins that they were paid. B, to beat death. So that someone has died and has gone through and has opened the doors. So that anyone who follows him goes through. Jesus has beaten death. And he says, not only has Jesus died and Jesus has risen again. He says, we also believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. That is, Jesus is coming back. And so Paul here deliberately uses the word sleep. Paul, when he talks about death here, talks about it as sleep and why because jesus has paid it all you know um we all have guilty pleasures don't we tv programs we watch and we don't tell anybody about here's my guilty pleasure don't tell the bride does anybody else watch don't tell the bride any men watch don't tell the bride come on me and my dream do we watch don't tell the bride now in don't tell the bride the uh, the the groom is given a lo- large amount of money to organize the wedding as long as the bride doesn't know anything about it so he can make all the decisions there's some classic episodes when he spends it all on a stag doing las vegas um doesn't invite a family because they cost too much all those kind of nightmare scenarios but every once in a while, you get a guy who's a good one. You get a guy who is a tidy bloke. And, and the way you can always tell the difference is how much they spend on the stag do compared to the hen do. The bad guys are the ones who go to Las Vegas or Malaga or Magaluf for their uh, stag do. And then the women are given like a minibus to go down the local uh, kind of restaurant kind of harvester for their hen do and they don't even pay for anything apart from the water um that's what kind of happens but every once in a while you see the women there with their bridesmaids and families and next thing out comes the stretch limo they come in and they take them into the stretch limo and in the stretch limo there's some lovely drinks for them and then they take them to the restaurant and all of the meals have been paid for and there's money behind the bar and then they go on to a show and they do all of these things and wherever they go that night the bride-to-be never once has to pull out her purse she never once has to pay for everything because the groom-to-be has gone around everywhere and has paid the price here's the great news for the christian when it comes to death christ has paid everything No matter what we face in death, no matter what happens to us when we die, Jesus has paid everything. There is no point in the death for the Christian where God goes, but are you good enough for this? Have you done enough for that? Can you pay for this? 
You need to do that. At every point in the death process, we can say, Jesus has paid it all. Jesus has paid it all. It's amazing going out, isn't it, when someone else has paid? You get even more. Me and Sam went out last night with some other pastors. Another pastor had paid. It's great. I usually have tap water. I had two cans of Pepsi. I was, you're paying? Let's, let's go for it. We were wild. We were wild. That's how we roll. Two cans of Pepsi. Um, because someone else has paid. The great news is we believe that Jesus has paid the price. And, and this means perhaps you're here this morning and perhaps you have a, a Catholic background. Uh, perhaps you've heard different things. Uh, one of the things you might believe in is purgatory. This idea that we die and then go somewhere to pay things off. Can I just say there's no such thing. There is no such thing as an intermediary kind of purgatory place because Jesus has paid it all. There is nothing, nothing at all that we can believe. You see, the Christian hope in death is not a close my eyes and this is what I'd like to happen. Christian hope in death is sure and certain that Jesus has died. Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus has paid the price. Jesus is preparing a place for me and Jesus will come back and get me. And it's all on him. He has done everything. The Bible says that Jesus, as the resurrected one, was the first fruits. The first fruits. Uh, the first fruits in the Old Testament, isn't it? Is when the first things grew, you came and offered them to God because you knew that once the first ones came, they were all there. You know, one of the happiest times in our house is when Beck has been baking and I come into the kitchen, you could smell, you know the oven is full and she's pulled out one cake to see what they're like. And the great thing is, is not that I'm getting one cake, it's that one cake means that there's a dozen cakes in the oven. Jesus dying from the graves, not just that Jesus has risen, but that Jesus is the first fruits. And so we will rise too. That is the Christian hope. And so whilst death and dying and grief is hard, there is hope. For the Christian, whilst we still experience the pain of separation and loss, There is hope. There is hope. It means that as Christians, we can face death. Face on. One of the things we do in the West, in today's culture, um, is we tend to uh, drug as much as we can and put people into hospices. Please don't think I'm saying we shouldn't put people in hospices and, and give them drugs. But part of the reason of that is because we don't want to see people die. And we don't want to see people in pain. And part of the reason we do that, not the whole reason, please don't think I'm saying, speaking against any kind of pain relief for hospices here, but part of the reason is because as a culture, we want a high death. We want a high dying. As Christians, we don't need to do that. As Christians, whilst we want our loved ones to be uh, pain-free and whilst we want them uh, to, to, to be in a place of comfort, we also don't need to hide the fact that they're dying. We don't need to hide that. Because as Christians, whilst death is hard, we have a hope. And so the Christian, because of Jesus, death is but sleep. And when the Bible uses the term sleep, what it means by that is it is temporary. That when the Christian dies, he goes to sleep and she sleeps. And there is what John Stott calls an awakening. An awakening. The great thing about going to sleep is... You're going to wake up. And for the Christian, death is only as powerful as sleep. For the Christian, death is only as powerful as sleep. Do you remember back in John 11, uh, Jesus with Lazarus? um, It says this. um, Jesus goes up and he says, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. 
I'm going there to wake him up. That is the hope of the Christian. That our friends and loved ones who have died have gone to sleep and the Lord Jesus has woken them up. My favorite account of this is Mark 5. Let me just read it for you. Mark 5 is a beautiful account of, of death. Mark 5 verse 35 says this. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? This is, isn't it, the worst type of death, burying your own child. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And he put them all out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, my little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. That is death for the believer. That is death for the believer. Whilst everybody is wailing and there is a great commotion, Jesus comes to the believer touches their hands and says, Talitha kum, get up, wake up. Because Jesus has died and risen and has gone to heaven to prepare a place for the Christian, death has been redefined as sleep. So my first question, can Christians grieve? Yes. Yes, we can grieve. The process of dying, the loss, the separation for the believer, that is something we grieve about and that is okay. Do not feel guilty for grieving. It is not unspiritual to grieve. But we do not grieve like those without hope. We do not grieve like those without hope. We have a grief that is filled with hope. That whilst we feel loss and separation, whilst we are still reading from the suffering they experienced, they are now with the Lord. They are now with the Lord. Many of us today, we believe where our loved ones are, but we still grieve the loss and the separation, don't we? As I prepared this this week, I thought about my mother. She missed my graduation. Missed wedding. She doesn't get to say the joke that Noah's as busy as me. She missed all of that, and that hurts. But I don't grieve like one without hope. I know where she is. Grief is hard. Grief hurts. But we don't grieve like ones without hope. We have real hope. Now... If you understand this, then you can understand it's okay to grieve. But we do not grieve like those without hope. And even for the Christian, there is a grief process. Many of us as Christians go through the grief process. We don't understand what is happening. We feel guilty for what is happening. As Christians, we will. We will face shock and denial. We will feel, feel anger and guilt. Many of us, because we don't understand it's okay for Christians to grieve, get stuck in the point of anger and guilt because we don't understand the process we're going through. There's a yearning, a depression. For some of us, a real illness comes as we get used to separation. But finally, there is that place of acceptance and reorientation. As Christians, we need to understand that we will go through a grief process and we need to help one another in that. And we need to allow one another to go through that. Please be careful of glib Christianity. We give the hope and we give the hope straight away, don't we? 
One of the things I always say to people when someone has died is what was said to me. It's not goodbye, but good night. I want people to know death is but sleep. But I don't want to deny someone the right to grieve. We need to work through these things, but we work through these things in a position of hope. So yes, the Christian can grieve, but we grieve with hope. Here's my second and final question. So what does happen when the Christian dies? What does happen when the Christian dies? What is our hope? And perhaps this is where there is some confusion. Um, and I want to clarify this week in particular what happens when the Christian dies. And next week, I'm going to clarify more in the second coming. If Paul is calling um, death sleep here, what does that mean? What does he mean by sleep? And there is some confusion here. Um, some people think, well, sleep is just that. It's temporary. And then the dead will be raised Um, And then they're in heaven, um, and that's it forever. So as soon as we die, we go to where we're going to be forever in in the glorified body. Some of us as Christians have that kind of thinking in mind. Some of us less, but some of us may have a concept of what we call soul sleep. um, That the person dies, then they go into a kind of stasis, a kind of sleep. Um, And then on the day that Christ comes back, they will be awakened for the final judgment. That we're in time, God isn't in time, and so we step out of um, time. Well, both of those are are wrong. Uh, Neither is what the Bible um, teaches. Um, Let me just give you an overview of what the Bible teaches because this is not mere theology or doctrine. I am now about to tell you, our loved ones who trust in Christ, I'm now about to tell you where they are. And I'm now about to tell you what happened to them the moment they died. And I'm now about to tell you what will happen to them in the future. And this is very important. Paul doesn't want us to be ignorant about these things. He wants us um, to know. Now, when Paul uses the word sleep, um, partly it means a rest, a rest from suffering and from sin and from suffering and struggling. But ultimately, what sleep means here is it's, it's temporary. It's temporary. It's not permanent. It's not long term. And the biggest thing I want you to grasp is today the Bible teaches, the theology of the Bible, the arc of the Bible, is that when we die, we go straight away to be with the Lord. We go straight away to be with the Lord. There is no waiting period. There's no purgatory. We've already covered that because there's nothing to pay. But as well, there's no soul sleep. He's not making the point that when we die, we go to sleep. And one time in the future, a long way down when the anesthetic wears off, we wake up. There's no concept of that in the Bible. Um, So the Lord Jesus on the cross says um, to the the thief, uh, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me. Uh, in paradise that messes with lots of your heads because you're like but didn't jesus go to hell for three days no not at all that's not orthodox christianity but we haven't got time to cover that today okay we're very ignorant about these things we need to be clear Uh, christ said it is finished paid in full he went into death but he didn't go to hell but that's another you can discuss that in root this week 2 corinthians 5 8 says this we are confident i say and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So Paul says, if you're away from the body, you're at home with the Lord. In fact, Calvin, the great reformer, the first book he ever wrote was against soul sleep. Um, It's not orthodox Christianity. You see, when the Christian dies, they go straight to be with the Lord. Those words to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, are so true. When you read through Revelation, apart from the last two chapters, the worship that is explained in heaven is the worship that is happening now. The believers are there. When you think about things like Jesus going up onto the mountain of transfiguration, God is there, but so is Moses and Elijah. Why? Because they're not asleep. 
They're with the Lord. They're with the Lord. This means that when you die, something amazing happens. Listen to the Puritan John Flavel. He, he, he describes death like this. He says, death is to be lifted from a bed of sickness to a throne of glory. To leave a sinful, troublesome world and a sick and pained body and be in a moment perfectly cured and feel yourself perfectly well and free from all troubles. You cannot imagine what that would be like. Last night, Steve Levy said to us, and I thought it was so helpful, he said, for the Christian, uh, their death day is their best day. For the Christian, their death day is their best day. For us as Christians with our loved ones, I'm not going to say our loved one dying is our best day. But for the Christian who dies, it's their best day. Um, I was talking to Rianne Morley's daughter, um, and uh, she was talking about when Don, her dad, Molly's late husband, passed away. Uh, she took the two uh, the girls to the, the funeral, and in the front, they were sitting there, and one of the girls kept looking around. All the way through the funeral, she kept looking around. And in the end, Rianne said, what, what, are you, what are you looking for? And she says, well, I'm waiting for Jesus to come and get granddad. I'm waiting for Jesus to come and get granddad. What a great understanding of death for the Christian. That when we die, Jesus comes to get us. Jesus comes to get us. And so we go straight to be with the Lord. There is no soul sleep. So does that mean that where we go then is where we will spend eternity? Uh, Well, no. Now you're really getting confused, aren't you? Uh, No. There is what the New Testament calls the third heaven. There is a place, even though God is omnipresent, present everywhere, there is somewhere we call heaven where God is in a more blessed way, where his presence is. And there is the place that Jesus calls paradise, Um, It's called heaven. Um, There is the place that when we die, our souls, our inner beings, go to be there to worship the Lord. But we don't have physical bodies there. Our bodies are still in the ground, okay? Um, Our bodies are still in the ground. But when we die, we go to the heavenly realms. We go to be with Jesus. You see, there's going to be something else. Have a look back at the text with me, and the text will help you. If you understand from the rest of Scripture that when you die, you go to be with the Lord, that helps you understand now what's going to see. So, verse 15. According to the Lord's own words, so this is Jesus' teaching he's going back to, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left to the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Why? What happens to them? Well, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. Here's all the authoritative illustrations he can use. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, we haven't got time to go through the rapture. Next week, I'm preaching on the rapture. You're very excited about that. But notice, the bodies of the dead will be raised. But between the time of their death and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, they will have been in heaven in terms of their souls. So the Bible teaches that a day is coming when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, that those who have died before the return of Christ will be united to their bodies. 1 Corinthians teaches us that we will have glorified bodies. A glorified body is not a spiritual body that is not physical. A glorified body is a physical body that is completely under the control of the Holy Spirit. It is a perfect body. Here's the great news, okay? This is what's going to happen. Next week, we look at it more. We go to be with Jesus in heaven if we die before he comes back. We worship and adore him in heaven. But a day is coming 
when Jesus will come, he'll come back to his earth, and two things will happen. One Peter, uh, two Peter teaches us that the earth will be burnt up. Fire there is not a destroying picture, but a purifying picture. This world will be made completely new. All sin and all sickness and all suffering and all disasters will be taken from this world. And at that point, heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem, where God is dwelling most amazingly and beautifully and where our brothers and sisters in Christ are now, will come down onto this earth so that there will be a new heavens and a new earth. That is, it will be renewed. So actually, the long-term place our loved ones will spend will be on this earth in glorified, perfected bodies with the Lord forever. God does not want us to be ignorant about these things. If you think that we're going to be floating on clouds with harps for the rest of our lives, that is not what's going to happen. We will be on a real earth this earth, without any sin or suffering, and we will see Jesus, and we will be with him. That is the picture of the Bible. That is the heavenly reality. And God doesn't want us to be ignorant about that. He is coming back. And on that day, the dead in Christ will be raised. Their souls and their new glorified bodies will be put together. We will join them too, and we will be together in heaven. This is the teaching of the Bible. So that means that Christians now are with Jesus, and it is pure bliss, but it's not their permanent residence. One day with us, they will come back to this earth, which has been renewed, which has been perfected, and we will be with them forever. So as I was preparing this week, I was thinking through the many over the last 10 years who have had to stand there and say, in a sure and certain hope. There's so many, I can't name them all. But let me give you a short, small list of people that I can tell you with greater certainty this morning that they are with Jesus in heaven, enjoying him. And on that final day, we will meet them together. Peggy was in. And Jacob. And John Jacob, having believed. John Boardman. Eve Dulick. And Thomas. Don and Molly Jones. And many, many more. We still grieve them. Some of us more than others who are closer. But we have a sure and certain hope that they are with the Lord. They are in heaven. And one day, and we're going to look at this next week, we will be with them together. We will be with them together. You know, what's the greatest hope of all for those who die? Have a look at verses 14 and 15. It says um, that we will, they die and that Jesus will bring those with him who have fallen asleep. And then have a look at verse 17. After that, we who are still alive and are left with them will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we will be with the Lord forever. Here's the most important thing. Our friends, our loved ones who have trusted in Christ, they have gone to be with Christ. They are with him. And that's what makes heaven amazing. For those of us who went to the funeral of Audrey Adams. I think we will all remember the moment when Mike Adams stood up to give a speech in the reception and he said these words. If Audrey could come home today, she wouldn't. She wouldn't. Because she's in a far better place. And I thought only he could say those words without it sounding glibly on a day like that. Because he believed it. He believed that Audrey was with the Lord. And to be with Jesus is the best thing by far. You know, some of us believe in Christ, but we struggle to believe this. 
We struggle to be with Christ is better by far. Uh, one man in Redonley says it's like this. It, it's like we take a coin and we take the coin and we put the coin over our eye so that blocks out the sun. The coin compared to the sun is nothing. The sun is infinitely bigger than the coin. But when you put a coin right in front of your eye, you can't see the sun. Our life in this world, the Bible says, is but a vapor. It's like a breath that comes and goes compared to eternity. Eternity is the sun and our life is the coin. But as Christians, we struggle to see eternity. We struggle to see eternity. And we struggle as we're so surrounded by this world and the things of this world. We struggle to see that heaven really is a far better place. That to be with Jesus really is far, far, far better. We still grieve and hurt, but we have a real hope. It means I have to ask one question. What about those who die and haven't trusted in Christ? What about unbelievers? I cannot give false hope this morning. And there is anguish in the heart of the believer. Paul in Romans 9, speaking of of his fellow Israelites who had yet to trust in Christ. um, He says that he felt great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart. And there is an experience of that. The only two things I can say for certainty about those um, who, uh, from what we can tell, didn't trust in Christ. There's only two things I can say for certain. The first thing is this. There is no second chance after death. There is no second chance after death. When we die, we either go to be with the Lord or we don't. Hebrews 9.27 is clear. People are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. But the second thing I know with certainty is that we cannot know with certainty where someone stood before the Lord in their final moments. The only other thing I can say with certainty is that we do not know with certainty where someone stood with the Lord before they died. We do not know what commitments they made earlier in life. We do not know what of our witness they took in, what of the gospel they understood. And in those last moments, minds focus amazingly. And so we hold on to the hope of the thief on the cross, that in that last moment today, you will be with me in paradise. I don't want to give false hope. When we die, there is no second chance. But I don't think we can ever say with real certainty that when someone died, they're not with the Lord. So those are the only two things I can say with certainty. But if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, this is what I tell you. Christianity is not a life insurance policy. Christianity is not about what you get when you die. It's about who you are now as well. And so don't wait until the last moment because you might not know that last moment. And actually, God doesn't just want to give you eternal life. He wants to give you life now. Eternal life starts the moment you believe. So don't put it off. Don't wait. Jesus has died for you. Jesus has risen from the dead from you. And Jesus wants to be preparing a place for you. And so if you're not a Christian, trust in him now. Have life now. And he will transform your life. And he will change your life. And so, yes, we we grieve and it is hard, but we grieve with hope. It's not goodbye. It's good night. And when we die, we go to be with Jesus. And the best thing about that is, that is home. Home is where Jesus is. One man said this, heaven is only heaven because Jesus is there. Do you know, 
we will be caught up and we will, we will see our loved ones again. I, I do believe that. I don't think we'll know less in heaven than we know now. So I do think we'll know one another. Our relationships will be transformed and changed. We don't have to worry about which person will I be married to in heaven. Jesus is pretty clear. Don't worry about that. Um, our relationships will be transformed. But we will recognize and, and know one another um, in one way or, or another. You see, the most important thing about heaven is that we'll be with Jesus and that we will see our loved ones again. We will see them again. And that really is so, so helpful. Edward Donnelly writes this, the reason for not grieving like unbelievers is that their parting is not permanent. They will meet again. We cannot know less in heaven than we did on earth. And we rejoice in that. But we rejoice more in the fact that we'll be with Jesus. Edward Donnelly goes on to say this, we must never, not for a moment, think of heaven apart from him. It's all about Jesus and being with him. Let me, let me sum this up with verse 18 as we draw to a close. Verse 18, this is what Paul concludes. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So we need to do this now. We need to do this now. We need to encourage one another. We need to encourage one another, firstly, that it's okay to grieve. We need to encourage each other that it's okay to grieve, that the dying process is hard and separation and loss is incredibly painful. And we need to encourage one another with that truth. But as well, we need to encourage each other with the truth that when a Christian is dying, they are preparing to go to paradise. They are preparing to go with Jesus. And death is but sleep. It is temporary. And while we may feel pain and loss, they will not. And they will be with Jesus forever. We need to encourage one another that our loved ones are in heaven today, praising the Lord Jesus, pain-free, struggle-free, enjoying him in pure bliss. And finally, we need to encourage each other with the words that one day we'll be reunited. We'll be reunited with our loved ones, but more than that, we'll be with a truly loved one, with the one who loved us and gave himself for us so that we can trust in him. Let's pray. Well, that's it for another episode of our From the Archives podcast. We hope that you found it challenging and encouraging. And as always, we'd like to offer you a few quick next steps that you can take right now. If there's anything that you'd like to discuss or any questions that have been raised, please do contact us via email to contact at amfordchurch.com. If you want to know more about what's going on in the life of the church, make sure that you like us on Facebook. And lastly... Why not check us out on YouTube, where you'll find additional teaching to complement our regular sermon podcast and our From the Archives podcast. Thanks for listening.